What are Christians in the world doing wrong? And what are they doing right? Are Americans secretly thirsting for God? Perhaps my guest today, senior pastor at Eastview Christian Church in Bloomington Normal, Mike Baker, can help us answer those questions. So, Mike, I hope thank I you. have some answers for you today, brother. <laughs> it's good to be here with you. Thanks for having me on the show, man. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks a lot. So, I mean, let's just jump right into yeah. it. What do you think? I mean, is there room for improvement in Christian culture, at least in America? Well, there certainly is. I mean, there's always improvement when any anything that has humans involved in it, if there are people involved, then there's going to be mess-ups, there's going to be uh, mistakes, there's going to be issues. Uh, and so certainly the, the problem with the church, this is one, this is an old pastor joke, right? The problem with the church is it has to be made up of people. Mm. <laughs> and so when you get people involved, you get people at different levels of maturity and, and spirituality. And um, so, yeah, there's definitely room for improvement, especially when it comes to um, just the impression that some people get about the, uh, the church. So in America, for sure. Hmm. We've not done very well, I would say. We've not done very well with the um, uh, the the media battle in terms of representing the church, good, bad, and ugly, right? Hmm. So we don't dominate the uh, the airwaves. Maybe you can specify what exactly, what areas could the church, and maybe you could tell us what you mean by the church. Mm-hmm. So what is the church, and where exactly are some areas that we could improve? Well, the church um, obviously has to be this huge worldwide organization. It's the, it's the most worldwide, unorganized, truly unorganized organization in the history of the world. There's 2,000 years of Christianity. It's worldwide. It's in every language. It's in every continent. And yet, there's autonomy on each of these places. So Eastview Christian Church, we do our thing. The church down the road does their thing. There's, you know, I think there's 122 churches in this town last uh, last I heard the number here. So um, broadly speaking, the big C church, the worldwide you know followers of Jesus Christ church, um, the biggest thing we have to do is make sure we get back to what Jesus was all about in the first place and that's serving other people and loving other people. Doesn't mean that you don't have um, truth and that we don't understand things to be true and right because uh, God certainly has that as part of our faith. but, Instead of arguing with people and debating with people and, um, you know, other other tragedies in our history like the Crusades and some of those other things, um, I think I think the best foot forward for Christianity today is to serve people, love people, and let that, those actions do our talking, right? Mm-hmm. So. so you talked a little bit about church history right there. You mentioned mm-hmm. the Crusades. Mm-hmm. When one thinks of Christian church history, before 1516, for the most part, Christians were Catholics. Right. So Completely. when you say the church, I know the Catholic church refers to themselves as the church. Mm-hmm. When you say the church, are you encapsulating also Catholicism or is it just Protestants? Yeah, I would. Here's the reality. As, as you mentioned, you're absolutely right, Paul, that the, um, the church was, there was only one church that was even known uh, in the first century on until the 1500s. Catholic, some people don't know this, the word Catholic means universal. And so when they came up with their statement of faith, which is probably when Constantine became the emperor in 325 and says, okay, Christianity is the official religion of the Roman Empire. That's both good and that's both bad. It's good because now we can 
build church buildings. We can worship freely. We don't have to worry about being, you know, killed for our faith. Mm-hmm. It's bad because um, Christianity has to be a faith that comes from inside and not a law that's demanded. So from that point on, then of course politics and kings and all kinds of things get involved in the church. But the Catholic Church. In and of itself, the universal church is this idea that Jesus had that Christians would be in different locations. They would love and serve Jesus. They would follow his teachings. And um, I'm not sure what level of organizational you know, structure Jesus had in mind for his church. It feels like um, there were definitely elders and leaders and apostles in the early church. But did he have this ecclesiastical kind of, you know, um, I don't know, org chart, to, to, mm. to put it that way. So I think that um, the the Reformation came out of uh, actually good Catholic people saying, we want to reform the church. I always tell people this is one of the funny things about um, Martin Luther is he was a reformer. He wasn't, he wasn't trying to start a new movement. He wanted to bring reform to the church as it existed. And again, if you put any institution together for 1,500 years, You'll have issues, you'll have things that, that traditions that become wrong or, or teachings that become heresies or whatever. And so he just, you know, he stood up against that. And then, and then you had the Protestantism that comes out of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Word protest. Protest is, the, is exactly is the key to that word there, right? Mm-hmm. So I, w- I say to people all the time, I'm like, whether you want to be or whether you believe it or not, you all come from the Catholic tradition. Right. No matter who you are, maybe you don't even know it, but there was no other division in the church. The church was the church until the 1500s. Yes, it was the Holy Roman Empire. It was the Catholic Church and became this kind of huge structure. But ultimately, what I tell people all the time, outside of that, there were churches in Ethiopia that fell, didn't fall under the Roman influence. There are churches in Russia and other parts of the world that were not under the rule of the papacy and uh, everything that was the Roman Empire. So um, the church has this ability just to keep going uh, and real people of real faith, even when there is corruption at different levels through the church. So, mm. Would you say that Eastview Christian Church is a reformed version of the Catholic Church, technically speaking? I, I think it's probably more, we, we would align ourselves with a, a, a movement called the Restoration Movement. I don't know if, if your listeners are familiar with that, but it's sometimes called the Stone Campbell Movement based on Barton Stone and Alexander Campbell. These guys in the, in the Midwest <clears throat> and the second um, kind of great American awakening, um, mostly in, you know, outside of the city, um, backwoods, kind of Kentucky and Indiana and Ohio is where it started. And their thing was restoration. It is restoring uh, the church to the New Testament. So our movement would be more like we're we just we're even not even going to reform all the stuff that we've messed up for these 1800, 1900 years. We're going to go back to the Bible and go, what was the church like then? Yeah, so there's some great characters in the uh, in the Restoration Movement. You guys, well, one of my favorite preachers is Raccoon John Smith, because he said that you know when he preached out in the sticks, uh, really only raccoons came to his church to hear him. Sometimes, hmm. so are you talking John Smith like Mormonism? No, 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 oh, no, okay. uh, no, no, no. I know no. he was there's in the a, woods a lot. Yeah, no, he was a different. <laughs> that's a different. That's a whole different uh, uh, sect of the of the teaching. Yeah, so yeah. Okay, got yeah, it, got it. Yeah. Well, tell us about Eastview Christian Church then. What what are the core values and principles of that church? Maybe what makes you unique if there is anything mm-hmm. 
Just tell me a little bit about that place. Yeah, uh, you know, Eastview Christian Church, um, and again, wanting to go back to what the original church was in the Bible as we understand it historically and biblically, um, there were some markers, and we actually, the elders of the church, who are the, the spiritual leader of the church, we went on retreat, read a bunch of scriptures, prayed a lot. We came up with this, this uh, what our vision statement is. I'm not going to bore you with it right now, but I'll tell you the different elements of this. And one of the things we looked at the early church and we said, you know what? They were fearless. They lived in a scary world in which they would be persecuted. They would be, you know, um, kept out of the market, kept out of business. Um, they were the lowest part of the uh, kind of the ostracized part of the society. But they were not afraid, man. They had mm. seen the resurrection of Jesus and they were fearless. So we want to be a fearless church. They were Christ followers. That's that's the root of who we are. Yes, there's a lot of scriptures we could teach on. I teach a 35-minute sermon every Sunday, right? But, and there's a lot of, you know, teaching and theology that's right. But ultimately, when you break it down, we follow Jesus. That's what we are. So what he taught, how he lived, um, the way he treated other people, that's what we try to do. So we're a fearless church of Christ followers. And then we threw in this other, we said... There's, there's a love that's in the first century church that's crazy. And we tried to come up with something like crazy love, you know, stupid crazy love. We ended up, this, this may sound weird to your listeners or to you, but ridiculous love. And ridiculous comes from the word ridicule. And, and in fact, what was happening in the first century is Christians were being ridiculed because they were loving anybody. This doesn't sound uh, weird to us, but the Romans could not believe that there was a gathering of people that accepted slaves and women and children and all basically all the parts of the Roman society that were kind of cast aside and not seen as important, the church was embracing and saying, all races, all sexes, all ages, we're just one big family. We love each other. And then what really freaked the Romans out is that they loved people outside of their fellowship. So, you know, in the second century, when the first kind of bubonic plague kind of swept through the Roman, some of the Roman colonies, the Christians were the ones rushing in and taking care of total strangers, right? Mm -hmm. So that is the kind of, we want people to go, man, we may not agree with everything Eastview says, we may not love everything they teach, we might not even like them, but you cannot deny that they love people with this crazy, ridiculous kind of love. And so then the, the fourth part of this is dangerous witness. And dangerous witness comes from the word martyr. And the, the Greek word martureo means literally to give your testimony, to tell your story. So if I said, you know, Paul, tell me about your life and or tell me why you believe what you believe, you'd give your testimony, right? Um, that word comes to become the word martyr because people were being killed because of their testimony in Jesus Christ. So we said, we want to be fearless. It's a scary world, but let's be fearless because of who we follow, Jesus. Let's love people. Love always, always breaks down doors and barriers and walls. And and then let's be, let's be not afraid to share our testimony, tell who we are and what Jesus has done for us. So that's the special sauce. I tell people all the time, we don't have special sauce at Eastview Christian Church. Really, it's just uh, something he's, uh, God's done there since 1955. And um, we try to preach the word every Sunday. We try to follow uh, Jesus' teachings. That's kind of it. And we're just kind of normal people. We're not, we, I hope that there's a very humble theology for us. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? I think so. I don't. We we're not. We, we don't try to come across like we have all the answers or we have it all together. 
In fact, I say this all the time. If you're here and you see all these people kind of dressed up and they look like they got their acts together and their marriages are perfect and their finances are great, that's not us. Uh, we, we have messed up. We've been messed up. We still mess up. But we believe that Jesus is changing us. And that's what, that's what our gathering is. So hopefully there's a welcoming thing that's there. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And if you go to your website, I mean, it seems very welcoming and yeah. very friendly. I can yeah. see why you have the numbers that you do. It's incredibly, yeah. incredibly inviting. And one thing that you did right there that I think is beautiful is you talk about the etymology of these words. Yeah. I mean, the Greek word katholikos is right. where Catholic comes from, yeah. which means universal, just mm-hmm. like you were saying. Mm-hmm. The word for devil comes from the Greek word diabolos, diabolos. which actually means yeah. to scatter. Yeah. My goodness, that's important. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And the list goes on. There's, and you also talk about Latin. You also talk Talk about Hebrew, the word Israel, right? This mm-hmm. means to wrestle with God right. or to struggle with God. Is what struggles with God, yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. I like to say wrestle. I'm a yeah. wrestler. It so okay. makes more yeah, sense right. to me. Yeah, that's good. Yes, But I, I just really like and appreciate the fact that you that you say those things. And I want to ask, you talked about testimony. Mm-hmm. What is your story? Have you always been immersed in your faith? Have you ever not believed in God, maybe? Yeah, that's a good what question. What is Mike Baker's story? Yeah, I always tell people that um, e- even if you don't have this crazy story of, you know, you did drugs and then Jesus saved you or you're an alcoholic, you came out of that or any, we always think of testimonies as being these really bad things. My testimony is not that. My testimony is that I was raised in a Christian home. My dad was a preacher for the first seven years of my life. Really from age six, I've wanted to be a preacher. (laughs) So I'm one of those strange, those strange stories. But I tell people all the time, still along the way, the Lord had to guide me. We grew up, we grew up in an extremely poor family, uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. I grew up actually a minority in my in my mostly black high school as a white kid. So the Lord placed things in my life: being poor, um, being overweight, being with. That's so I grew up that way, and being as a minority to help me see the world differently in a way that I wouldn't. So even then, He was shaping my life, right? So then, when I went to Bible college to learn how to preach. And started preaching on the weekends. I've been preaching for 37 years, believe it or not. Well, and, how old uh, are I'm you? I'm 57 years old. Okay, yeah, but yeah, I've never looking guy. To ask you uh, to answer your question, uh, and this is maybe not fair to everybody else because most people do. I've never really had a moment uh, where I would just call it. It's a. It's one of those faith moments where I'm not sure if I believe or not. I've just never had that kind of moment, and it's not because life's not been hard or challenging. Uh, I just, it it was impressed in me at a young age and I've seen enough to believe it. I've seen miracles and I've seen God work. And so I'm sticking with him. (laughs) What miracles have you seen? Oh man. Well, the biggest one is, um, and, uh, a lot of, a lot of people, if they're listening to your show from Eastview, they'll know this story, but I have a four year old grandson and, uh, Four years ago, he was, and in fact, his name is Israel, and, it, and that ties in with the uh, struggles or wrestles with God, too. But um, just four and a half years ago, he went, to the, he went to get his regular checkup, his mom did, my daughter-in-law, and uh, they found out that his kidneys were not working. He's, he had chronic kidney failure, and basically, he was going to die. There's, he wasn't going to be born. There's nothing they could do. Well, they got connected. Of course, we started sending you know, prayer requests out, thousands of people. One of my good friends in India who has you know, over a thousand churches that he leads in India, he started praying. And eventually we got hooked up with Cincinnati Children's Hospital. And they started doing this infusion thing to keep him alive in the womb. Then when he was born, they hooked up, actually put some hot heart monitor stuff together and some 
Um, I can't even explain it all. Some um, dialysis machine stuff together to keep him able to be alive. They kept him lo- alive through a series of surgeries and all kinds of stuff. But he, he received a kidney last uh, last summer. So he just turned four in May. And uh, and the reason I mentioned his name, his name is Israel, which means, as you say, uh, you know, one who wrestles with God or struggles with God. He is the son of my oldest son, who was kind of rebellious in high school and struggled with his faith and struggled with living up to being Mike Baker's son and all that kind of stuff as a pastor's kid. And really, you know, didn't walk with God for many years, wrestling with God, actually. And so now my grandson's name is a reflection of his wrestling with God and God finally getting his attention through this this miracle grandkid. So that's just one I could, you know, there's a lot, there are a lot of just miraculous things that uh, I could tell you from over 37 years, but that's, that's my favorite one. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. That's a glorious one. Of course, yeah. that one hits close to home. Absolutely. What a heck of a name, yeah. Israel, yeah, for Israel. a name. Yeah. They probably call him Izzy, right? No, I call him Israel because I'm just like, <laughs> I, sometimes I even pronounce it, you know, in the, uh, the Hebrew Israel, uh, just to mess with him. And, uh, but yeah, he's, he's a joy and, and we're blessed to have him. Yeah. Traditional, modern, or rustic. Whatever your home interior vision may be, you can count on the professionals here at Gravel Lane Design Studio to make it a reality. From bathrooms and kitchens to laundry rooms and mudrooms, our talented team of designers specializes in custom designs, including Amish-made cabinetry, countertops, showers, closets, and shelving that embody your personal style, creating the space you desire with the function you require. Based out of Eureka, Illinois, Gravel Lane is a locally owned business that takes pride in providing you with a delightful family-like experience. Give us a call and we'll pair you with one of our expert designers that will meet with you to discuss your vision. Together, we will view your space and take measurements, explore materials and samples, and look over personalized digital renderings so you can see it for yourself. And only once you see a design that you truly love will we begin building your dream room. Turn your home's interior from ordinary to extraordinary when you call Graveling Design at 309-383-0090 or send us a message through our website at GravelLaneDesign.com. Gravel Lane Design Studio. Quality craftsmanship. You know, I, I've only got you for so long, Mike, so uh-huh. I want to talk about a, a number of different things. I've listened to some of your sermons, believe it or not, and mm-hmm. they're really good. And I've also listened to some other, so I'm a practicing Catholic, actually. Okay. And right. the sermons in Protestant denominations, the popular ones on YouTube, the culture, the style, it's a lot different than sermons you'll hear in the Catholic Church. Right. It's more animated, it's more lively, it's more, well, I don't know, a, a number of things. Right. One thing that I've heard some pastors speak about, and I don't know if you've spoken about this, is, well, they try to address the rising anxiety, depression, and suicide rates in America mm-hmm. among adolescents, among yeah. teens, yeah. especially, well, anxiety and depression among young girls. That seems to be especially high. Yeah. I want to know your thoughts on that, because as that goes up, there is also a decline in kids being raised religious, yeah. Christian yeah. specifically. That correlation, as one goes down, one goes up, is it connected? Yeah. Is it causal, or is it just coincidence in your eyes? Yeah, I see. I th- you may may know where I'm going with this answer, but I actually mentioned this to my congregation. I think two or three weeks ago in a sermon, when you know one of the big things they talk about uh, the culture. I say they the culture talks about, and this is the kind of the ongoing dialogue. 
is the conflict between science and Christianity or faith, right? That these can't be congruent. They can't go together, which, of course, I believe is totally the opposite. I believe they go hand in hand. Um, but I said, I, get, I said, guys, if you want to do some science and try to figure some stuff out, here's something to figure out. Suicide rates, depression, mental illness, as you said, are skyrocketing. They're alarming rates, like triple, quadruple, double what they were 10 years ago. It's unbelievable how bad the mental and emotional state is of our young people particularly, right? Um, at the same time, as you mentioned, the rise of the nuns. I don't know if, you, if you've heard, not the nuns like in the Catholic faith that that uh, that teach at the schools, um, but the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, like nun, and the big survey that says, what's your religious affiliation? And if you check nun, you might, you'd check Catholic, I'd probably Protestant or whatever, nun, that's like um, almost 20% now in the, in the United States. So the rise of the nuns means that more and more people have no religious affiliation, and that's increasing. At the same time, mental illness, instability, uh, suicide rates. And I, I cannot help but believe there is a basis and a foundation of life that's missing, and that's why, that's why we're struggling emotionally and mentally as a, as a culture. It's just, it's, you want to talk about a pandemic? That's pandemic. It's probably epidemic right now, but it's going to be pandemic when we start going, why are all of our kids stressed out and don't want to live and don't know why they're here and are afraid of everything? It's because there's a, listen, I don't have all the answers, but I know tomorrow when I get up, whatever happens, uh, God's going to be in charge. And I believe that. And that belief helps me understand I'm going to have good days and bad days, right? But ultimately, in the end, he's going to get me to what he's promised me to be. And I'm I'm not going to – doesn't mean that, you know, pastors get depressed. People don't know that. Pastors have depression. Pastors can get – in fact, some pastors are prone to anxiety. And, um, you know, what uh, some of the desert fathers back in the day called dark nights of the soul, right? Those Those times where you're just like not sure. But ultimately, I always come back to this. I, I rest assured in everything that Jesus said was true. And um, this world, he, t- he, said, he said, listen, this world, uh, one of my favorite things is like, in this world, you'll have trouble. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So that is ultimately going to, I think, is what this culture needs to get back to a mindset that says, yeah, I may have been cut from the team. My girlfriend may have broken up with me. I may not win this job or win this competition, but God loves me. I know that for sure. He's got a purpose for me, and so I can I can get up on Tuesday morning. That, But also, I think there's something to be said about just how powerful and beautiful it is to strive to please something or to strive to do something that's bigger than yourself. That's right. You know, when you have God, you're striving to do God's will, even at a sacrifice to yourself for the well-being of humanity at large, for the well-being of your soul. You're trying to get to heaven after you die. You know, it's just when you don't have something bigger than yourself that you're striving to do, that's just, I mean, you start to recede into yourself and you start thinking about yourself alone. You start to look at, you know, these very petty things such as likes on Instagram. You don't right. think about the big right. picture. And in psychology, there's tons of studies done on, you know, people who are clinically depressed and they use the word I significantly more yeah. than people that are not that depressed. Makes sense, right. And there's it's an also inward focus, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well then I is is also a 
I, I was in the research for this conversation. I was listening to a lot of Protestant pastors talk, and mm-hmm. I heard one guy kind of saying, "This sounds, you know, it sounds cheesy to me." Granted, I'm a, I'm a <laughs> traditional. Is Catholic. it an old dad joke or something? <laughs> no. Well, he says, you know, look in the center of the word pride. What do you see? It's I, and then, and then he talks about anxiety. You know, in the middle of that, there's I. And it's a kind of just you focus a little too much on yourself. You think you can handle these things. You put it on yourself instead of giving it to something bigger than you, giving it to God himself. What are your thoughts on anxiety and depression? Is it a purely neurochemical phenomena Mm -hmm. or is it perhaps a spiritual thing going on? Well, again, I don't want to I don't want to downplay the um, the physiological neurological sure. part of it, because that, that there is something to that that we probably don't fully understand at this point. But I think it's probably more um, cultural. And by cultural, I don't mean just this culture. I just mean what you're raised in and how you see yourself. And um, again, I just I was just talking to somebody the other day about the the three things that religion answers that everybody has to answer. And by religion, I'm using that broadly. So even if you're a Hindu or a Buddhist or Muslim or Christian, you have to every human has to answer the who am I? And if the answer is only you're only as good as Paul, you're only as good as Mike, you know, I'm as I'm I'm a weightlifter. I'm a wrestler. I'm a preacher. And if it's all about what I can do, hmm. then that's a really, really small view of the world. Who am I? But if I'm a child of God, if I'm a creation of God, if I'm made in his image, well, that that changes things a little bit. So who am I? The second. Why am I here? Right. Why am I here? And I think that this leads to depression, anxiety, and just men- mental consternation more than anything else. Most people don't know what their purpose is, right? Now, again, we can go through phases where we, we're not sure exactly how that plays itself out, right? But we all need to have a purpose. So Christianity comes along and says, hey, your purpose is to love and serve others in the name of Jesus Christ and to love Jesus, Right. And, um, you know, what the, the prophet from the Old Testament says to love justice and do mercy and walk humbly with your God. That's your purpose. You do those three things, you, you, you're going to have a reason. Maybe it's a, a small audience. Maybe it's a big audience, but you have a purpose. you got to wake up every day and go, why am I here? And, 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 you know, who am I? Why am I here? And then where am I going? Mm. What, you, the, Christianity ultimately answers that question by, you know what? No matter what it looks right now, Paul. When this is all said and done, you're going to die or God's going to come back first. But in the end, I've overcome death. You're going to live with me eternally. And that's a promise of Christianity. And so do I believe, I absolutely believe that the removal of people in, you know, in masses from the church um, has definitely had an effect on the mental stability and the well-being of our culture. There's no doubt those two things are related. And again, there's likely scientific research is being done on that right now, trying to determine psychologically and emotionally there being tests going, what is the, what's the correlation? I think they're definitely related. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and also from a spiritual standpoint, I don't know what your beliefs on grace are, you know, this mm-hmm. kind of spiritual aid from God, blessings yeah. from God in some way, shape or form. Uh, but science, I just had a priest on the other day. The problem with atheistic scientists is that they believe that 
understanding the universe and reality front to back is within the realm of their understanding. They right. can understand that, but they fail to acknowledge perhaps the biggest component of all reality, which could be metaphysical. Science as we know it, mm-hmm. the scientific method is analyzing the world around us, the physical Newtonian world around us. Well, that completely fails to acknowledge the metaphysical realities right. that could be going on all around us. So you're looking at something like mental health and it's just uh, give them pills that make the right. stuff go up. Yep. You know, give them this, give them that. What's the problem here? Well, you're failing to look at something that's not tangible. Yeah. And I think that's where scientists really can fail. A and lot that of the non-tangible time. reality is the soul. It's the breath of life that Jesus, that God breathed into mankind. It, what we call the tsuke in the Greek language, which is where we get psychology. It's the psyche. There's something inside of you that's not what I see right now. And I like it. So, uh, one author, I can't remember who it is right now, but I'm not going to take credit for it, said that we we see ourselves as bodies with souls, but we're really souls with a body. So we're, we're created in the image of God, I believe, and I understand the scriptures teach, that we're created with his breath in us. That's the spiritual, eternal part of Mike and Paul. This is just the outward appearance. This is just who we are. And this is also temporal. There's, a, there's an eternity after that. If you don't understand that and you just try to go, okay, I'm going to try to give Paul therapy. I'm going to give Paul drugs. I'm going to whatever. I'm going to try to curtail his actions. Jesus comes and says, let me change the inside. If I get to the inside, your outside will be fine. Let me change you from the inside out, right? And so I think we just see it backwards. We see it from a human perspective instead of an eternal godly perspective. And that, of course, means that we're going to miss that whole realm as you talk about the metaphysical realm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, right. And no, yeah. right now, I mean, we could go on to so many different things. I'll say something really quick. There's a study going on right now. I don't think it's published yet, but I know a lot of the results. I heard it on a, a podcast. There's a really credible priest. Uh, he's, I think he doubles as a scientist, which happens sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Um, I forget what the name of the study is, but anyway, they looked at in the past, like, two decades. It's a long study. And they looked at people who had near-death experiences of different ages, but of a specific kind of near-death experience. They had a name for it. Hmm. And the person had to be clinically dead in heart and brain for at least like 20 minutes. And they had to have an out-of-body experience. And they looked at, I believe, over 100, which is a lot, over 100 experiences like this. And their consciousness was sucked up upwards Mm -hmm out of a building, out of their hospital building, and they were able to see specific things such as a Nike shoe with the right toe worn out with the shoelace stuck underneath the shoe on top of the fi- uh, top of the roof, roof of a fifth story hospital building. Right, right. And then other people were taken out and they saw, you know, the first snowfall of the year, they went into this coma, the snow had actually fallen. tell you stuff that they've that there's no way they could know. That's what's so puzzling about this. Right, there's right. actually no way they yeah. could know. And this points to the idea that your consciousness, even the visual aspect of it and your ability to see is not confined to the walls of your brain. Now, this actually puzzles me. I'm a very literal <laughs> thinker. I try to stay away from woo-woo stuff, but like what's that all about? That must be something similar to the soul. And I mean, I'm sure you haven't heard of this study or anything, unless you have. But what do you think of that? Well, what I think is, is that there's a a whole spiritual side to us that we only see. You know, the Apostle Paul writes in Corinthians, he says, we see through a glass dimly. And it's his, really, in Corinth, this is really a fascinating story to me, at least. And it came together when I was in ancient Corinth one time and saw some of the, the mirrors 
the ancient mirrors in Corinth were nothing but just a polished bronze. So I don't know if you've ever looked in a polished bronze. It's not a very good, it's not like the mirrors we have in our bathrooms where you can see pretty clearly this is what Paul looks like. Sure. And Paul was going, our view of life is kind of like looking in your mirrors that you guys have in Corinth. You can kind of see your face. You see the eyes and nose, but you see very dimly. And I th- and he was pointing to there's a whole other spiritual realm that's godly, that's eternal. I mean, if you want to blow your mind, just think about the eternal reality, right? I, I, I can, in my brain, kind of grasp eternal future, but eternal past, that God's been been here forever. He was never created and never started, and he's outside of our beginning, and he's outside of our ending, there's something that we just, our mental capacity as humans are not able to fully grasp. And I think, to me, one of my favorite uh, teachers and mentors, Dr. J.K. Jones, he said that the queen of theology is humility. And I think I think science could take a little bit of a lesson with that. I think humility should go with every experiment and every conclusion. You know, I tell people all the time, you know, the science is conclusive on this. And I said, yeah, the science is conclusive until somebody does an experiment 20 years from now that disproves that that conclusion. Science in and of itself is constantly coming up with new, (laughs) right, new information because maybe they take away some of the variables, maybe they do some different tests. But, you know, science world thought that the world was flat at one time. Praise God, we don't follow that science anymore, right? Science constantly asks questions and does experiments to make conclusions. Well, here's what I believe. Science is here, and the most genius mind is trying to figure it out. And God's, he's way, way beyond that. And so I love science. I love discoveries. I love seeing the stuff that we've been able to discover and see you know, all throughout the universe and the, you know, the mega telescopes and all that kind of stuff. But all we're going to do when we get to the end of all that is going to be God in his most elementary moment going, yeah. <laughs> and when I say, when, when Einstein said E equals MC squared, God went, duh. <laughs> That's the way I put the universe together, right? Ultimately, all science really is, is studying God's creation. That's exactly right. Since 1950, Dave's Supermarket in Fairbury has been wowing customers throughout central Illinois with their unmatched customer service, delectable deli market, beloved grocery carryout service, and many other fortes, which is why they've earned hundreds of five-star reviews online. Dave's Third Street Deli has plenty of seating and is a destination place to meet your family and friends for good food, fun, and fellowship. Not only is their home-style fried chicken here the best around, but you can also enjoy free coffee and 50-cent ice cream every single day. And be sure to check out their Old World Bakery while you're here, where freshly baked goods are prepared every morning. You'll find hundreds of unique and signature items here at Dave's that you won't find anywhere else, like their famous potato salad, ham loaf, and canned meats, just to name a few. Come experience this revered location that puts a super in supermarket when you shop at Dave's in Fairbury, Illinois. Wowing the customer for over 70 years. Speaking of God's creation, Uh you know, you talk man and woman. Yeah. In 2017, you gave a very popular talk on sex. (laughs) On some ways it was popular. (laughs) Right, right. Well, it sparked outrage in some local LGBTQIA plus communities. Mm Mm-hmm. Why the outrage? My deepest premise is that um, 
that God's way is perfect, that God's way is always going to be the best way. So when I start talking about sexuality, I, I go, we have to go back to the beginning. When did sex first happen in humanity? And if you take the Bible to be what the Bible is, as I do the Word of God, then sex begins in Genesis chapter 2. When God created man and woman, he brought them together. They were naked. They were not ashamed. He made them. He blessed them. The first blessing in the Bible, by the way, is Genesis one twenty seven that says, "Be fruitful and multiply." He made man and woman to function sexually so that they could be fruitful. They could have children, procreation. So here's what I my my simple premise is that respectfully, um, many many people have different opinions about their sexuality, right? Unfortunately, and this is another scientific kind of study and, and would go would lead to some of the depression and the suicide rates and all those kind of things. We are we are asking children, really. I'm, I'm just going to put 12, 13, 14 year old. We, we consider them uh, children when it comes to voting and buying alcohol. right? Mm. And we consider them children when it comes to having sex with an adult. Right. They're minors. They're not smart enough. What we say, I mean, and what I love, the statutory rape laws are written that says, no matter what this guy or girl looks like at age 13, they're not mature enough sexually to make a decision. So that is against the law, right? We get that. So now we are in this culture that is inundating teenagers. 12, again, the... the um, the the average age for most kids seeing their first pornographic image is 11 years old. It keeps going down. It gets it down even ago, lower it was now. 13. Okay. No, no, so, it's now it's 11, it's 11. I believe. So yeah. here's the deal. Ugh. The deal is what 11-year-old can process their sexuality? I re- I vaguely remember because it's been about 40 years. I remember as as a teenager in high school uh you know, being a heterosexual male still being confused about my sexuality and what I do with all these hormones and am I in love? Is this just lust? Is this just, you know, is this, again, there's not a more sexually confusing time in life than teenage years, maybe even into early 20s. And yet we are designating people. We're giving people, de- oh, you're bi, you're transgender, you're, you're fluid, you're gay. And my only contention is if you feel that way, I love you. I'm not mad at you. I believe that maybe God has a different thing for you that you don't know yet because you've been raised to think a different way, or you've been in a culture that accepts a different way. And so we know that humanly speaking, uh, if enough people tell me, hey, you know what, Paul, this is who you are, this is what you are, then you have a tendency to grasp onto that, especially if you can find, go back to those questions, right? Who am I? And why am I here? Right? If I... you know who I am? I'm this sexual thing that they've they've labeled me as, right? And now I found my identity. Finally. Yeah, yeah. Finally I figured it out. And I my my concern, and it's a true genuine concern, is what if what if we're just lying to a bunch of kids? What if we're just telling a bunch of teenagers a total untruth that's gonna wreck their world, which I believe what is what always happens. When you get outside of God's world, a God's word and His will, and you don't do it God's way, eventually, it's going to screw everything up. <laughs> it might it might work for a while, it might seem good for a while, you might be popular for a while, but ultimately, you can't sin and it turns out good. Never has, 
Never will. I've had multiple trans people on the show, good trans people, mm-hmm. and they're very good at speaking about what they believe and what they think and what they feel and everything. And I've looked at a lot of literature on this. I've, I've read a book, at least, on the subject. And the more I look at it, this is, uh, and I might get in trouble for this, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, who's going to fire me? If so, <laughs> well, here's what I think. And even the liberal types, the very far left, will acknowledge in the DSM-5, the Diagnostic Statistic Manual, which lists all the mental illnesses, mm-hmm. uh, the most recent one will still list gender dysphoria as yeah, a mental illness. Exactly. You you believe that reality is other than, it exists in a way that is other than what it actually is in reality. Mm-hmm. And that you believe your body is different than what it actually is. It's at odds with reality is what I'm trying to say. Uh, in no other mental illness of that kind do you affirm the person's perception of reality. Right. Take right. schizophrenia, a close cousin. I, maybe not close, but it's a cousin. Mm-hmm. You see reality. You might believe the walls are talking to you. And mm-hmm. no other, you would never be unethical, immoral, unprofessional, in a medical standpoint and just professionally in general, you would never affirm the person say, yes, the walls truly are talking to you. That's right. You would understand that to be problematic. It could result in further harm being done. You never want to affirm someone's distorted perception of reality. But the only mental illness, and I say that literally, mm-hmm. mental illness, that you that we affirm as a society or in medicine is gender dysphoria. Right. And you can look at the results of that and see, or not the results of that, but you can look at the numbers and see that trans people kill themselves almost half the time, eventually, mm-hmm. yeah. which is really terrible. It's and terrible. that rate happens in rural areas almost as much as it does in a place like L.A. So that makes me think it's not, the problem is not necessarily how the people are treating right. these people, whether or not they're affirming them or not calling them their preferred pronouns, but the issue could instead be within the mind. And I just think affirming is not maybe a good idea, and maybe the best idea looks something like that. I don't know. Bottom line is these people are killing themselves at an alarming rate, and we should maybe reconsider how we respond to this phenomenon. Yeah, and I think that's what I always try to encourage from the Christian standpoint is, it, it is a sin to make fun of anybody or to look down on anybody or call anybody names. So I, I if, if anybody is saying things to a transgender person that's causing them to feel bad enough to take their life, what a terrible tragedy that is. But on the other hand, if we as a society are affirming something that we know that will be destructive in the end, what a terrible thing that is, right? And ultimately, here's my reality, and this is what it goes back to being based on the rock of Jesus Christ. If you don't have a firm foundation, you and I, you and I both, we can lie to ourselves. Humans are great at lying to ourselves. But when we get by ourselves, when we get away from the crowd, when we get, you know, whatever, in our mind space, <laughs> we can't lie to ourselves eventually. Eventually we go, oh, this is not who I am. And I think that's where the mental reality hits and suicide becomes an option, unfortunately, because you don't know where to go. You've been mm-hmm. you've labeled yourself into a corner and now it's like, I can't do this anymore. And the thing that I would say, if there's any any transgender people or anybody with sexual kind of questions, you know, don't give up. Don't give up on the fact that somebody can't redeem it. I believe that person is Jesus Christ who who changes everything. One of the biggest things is um, 
in this argument and this, and again, I, I try not to make it an argument. I want it to be a discussion that I respect and love everybody. But, but with sexuality in our culture, I would say two things. Often the, it comes down to feelings. What do I feel? And feelings are betrayers. You can be happy one minute, sad the next minute, you know, joyous one minute, depressed the next minute. Feelings come and go. So if you say to me, I just feel like I'm this, I go, you feel like you're this right now, and you've got these reasons for feeling this way. That doesn't mean that that's who you are. So feeling a way is not an identity, right? So that would be one of my arguments. The other argument that I would had uh, that I would have is that you can change, and that really the one of the things that one of the things that made I think some of the groups in this town maddest at me was they were saying, "Oh, God made us this way. Why would we want to change?" And I said, "We part of the Christian message is that Jesus has come to change us." from who we are to who he created us to be. Mm-hmm. So change is part and parcel to Christianity. I didn't come to God and going, "Hey, I'm good the way I am." You don't, you know, if I was good the way I was, Jesus didn't need to come. He just go, "Hey, I'll just wait till you die and you can come to heaven." Right? right? I need I need somebody to fix my mind and my soul and my brain and everything else because I think badly on my own. He need to come and save me from that. And so I would say to someone who believes that they're homosexual, they believe that they're bisexual or fluid or transgender, any of those things, I would say, what if there's a God who created you to be more than that, and he could help you change to be that? Hmm. That's the question that I would pose. And again, it's very personal because either either you believe that you are whatever that is, uh, whatever your sexual identity is, or you have family members who have identified themselves that way. And that really is usually the place where people just go, oh, I can't say this against my brother or my sister or my, you know, it is really hard to take a spiritual scriptural stance against your family or a friend. And so it's a complex issue. And it sure is. I didn't solve it in one sermon and we won't solve it in one one of your shows, but it's, but it's still a good conversation to have. What's interesting, as much as, we would like to put an umbrella term around the LGBTQ plus mm-hmm. community and right. say, this is the root problem of all of it. Right. I personally don't think that's the case. And uh, when it comes too to... too complex. Right. But when it comes to the transgender phenomena going on in society, especially among young people right now, I'm a man of numbers in Britain or in the UK where they have centralized healthcare. They have access to these numbers in the past less than 20 years, more than 10 years, I think maybe since uh, 2006 or something, they've seen an increase in adolescent girls going to the doctor and getting transgender hormone therapy Mm -hmm. or getting surgery. That number of girls coming for that reason has gone up more than 40 times. That's astonishing. That doesn't happen in medicine. That's not normal. That's not natural. The only time you see that type of increase in anything ever is in a craze. Yeah. And I say that right. knowing full well that people aren't going to like the sound of that. Right. But you saw it in things like anorexia in America mm-hmm. in a certain time period, like in the past couple decades, uh, it was anorexia. There was also cutting. Yeah. Like that became a big thing. And people started going to the doctor because they were cutting like crazy. And it just these massive spikes. Mm-hmm. The only thing is, is those are one thing, you know, anorexia. 
you're done and then you're uh, cutting and then it comes and goes and it's done. There's probably people listening to this that cut or like they had some eating disorder. If you get transgender hormone therapy or you get surgery, that's permanent. Yeah. It's at least going to have permanent side effects. And so it's a big, big problem. And you see these girls, you know, they're increasingly anxiety ridden and depressed. And and I say these girls because it's happening among girls the most. Yeah. You see them and they're searching for identity. They're searching for something. They're searching for a whole host of things. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they'll take start taking testosterone and then they'll get these feelings of euphoria. Testosterone's wonderful at reducing anxiety, et cetera. And they think they found it. They think yeah. they've finally found the answer. Here's here's what's missing in my life. And here's here's that missing right. piece that will make me whole and make me who I need to be. And and again, the, let's just take, for instance, um, the... the, the a lot was made of Bruce Jenner becoming Caitlyn Jenner, right? Mm-hmm. So I grew up, when I grew up, Bruce Jenner was on the front of the Wheaties box. He was the greatest male athlete in the Olympics in 1976, I think. But he's well into his 60s. He is at least an adult, is able to make adult decisions. And he's going to do what he, do I believe he's going to regret that years from now? Probably. Do I believe that he's probably still searching for greatness, even though he's been one of the greatest and most famous people there is. I do. But what what just breaks my heart is that we're talking about 11, 12, 13, 14-year-olds who, as you say, they're, they're not going to be real. This is not a phase you go through, then you just go, oh, that was, that was crazy back in high school. Glad I'm not that. No, this is, you're doing physical things that will change your life forever. And like, I think a recent Pew Research poll or a Barna poll came out uh, interviewing the the generation called Generation Z, and the number was an astonishing twenty percent. I saw that twenty percent identify yep. as LGBTQ, right? And I'm going okay, but it, but if you know the demographics of that, that generation is all under seventeen, zero to seventeen right now, right? Not we're not talking about millennials. They're mm-hmm. believe it or not, they're nearing uh, some of the older ones are nearing middle age now. The millennials, mm-hmm. so that that generation that that headline's gone. This Generation Z identifies 20% uh, sexually this way. And I'm going, yeah, who are they pulling? They're asking 12-year-old kids, how do you identify? Well, again, what does a 12-year-old know really about the full implications of all sexuality? And is there something trendy and hip and cool that I can go, yeah, I'm by? And that's just where I'm going to identify because that's where I fit in. And I just think it's, it's an incredible Either that or there's something cataclysmic that's happened in our hormones and our reality that now all of a sudden we have this many transgender people in the world and we've never had this in the history of the world before. Now we got 20% of a whole generation that is just transgender. It's either psychological and, and you know what's happening in our society, societal, an influence there, or it's physiological. And I think the science is against the physiological side. I think, and I always tell people all the time, it's like, if you want to talk about sexuality outside of the design of man and woman in the Bible, you know, having sex and procreating and all those things, uh, let's just go to the science. You know, explain to me how this works. How do we procreate without man and woman? How do we, how do we live balance of two different kinds of people, a man and a woman, who again... Science will tell us we're different people. I know everybody doesn't want... Women and men are equally as valuable in God's eyes. God loves them, has purpose for men and women equally. That One's not better than the other. 
but we're different. Mm-hmm. I've been married for 37 years. I'm promising you, men and women are different. <laughs> and so I think that there's a design that God had, man and woman, male and female. And he made them in his image, male and female. And he brought them together, and they were married. And that works, and everything else, um, the science, actually, I don't even have to go to the Bible. The science just plays against that. Right. Yeah. And I do want to say, you know, you talk about it could be a physiological thing. It could be a hormonal thing. It could be societal, psychological, everything else. I think it might be even a mix of those things, but definitely by and large, it's the vast majority of the reasoning behind it is psychological, yeah. societal, yeah, I would at say. At least I think it's disingenuous not to at least include that part of the argument. Okay. Right. If you want to say, hey, there's some physiolo- physiology going on here. Okay. I'll give you, I'll give you that. Hey, real science is going to search every angle of what's going on here. And we should look at 20% of a poll that says they're transgender or they're bi or they're gay and go, what happened all of a sudden? It's interesting. I mean, if nothing else, a scientist should go, wow, that's a sudden spike probably from 40 years ago where it was 2% or less, (laughs) maybe less than that. Fairbury Furniture is Central Illinois' premier furniture store. This family-owned business offers a vast selection of premium furniture items from all of your favorite brands, including Sealy, Best Home Furnishings, Leather Italia, Tempur-Pedic, and Ashley, just to name a few. And right next door to their gorgeous 7,000-square-foot furniture showroom, you will find the Fairbury Furniture Mattress Store, home to all of the latest and greatest mattresses in any and all sizes. Also inside Fairbury Furniture is the popular W. WC Market, a beloved shop that offers an ever-changing selection of unique gifts and fashionable home decor. So make your home interior beautiful, comfortable, stylish, and delightful when you shop at Fairbury's own Fairbury Furniture. Here's the interesting thing, and I've really delved into the psychology behind this, not the psychology really, just how they go about determining whether or not someone is truly trans, Mm -hmm. and at least years ago, maybe now they're a little more lenient, they would say that it has to be consistent, insistent, and persistent. Hmm. So it has to be consistent since the time this kid is very, very little. Mm -hmm. They're consistently insisting that they are the opposite sex. Truly, mom, I, your son, Paul, I am a girl. I promise you I'm a woman. I know. know, And it never changes. That's how they think, okay, this is truly a genetic thing. It could be a brain structure thing, but they're telling the truth as far as they know. What you see right now, and I've spoken to moms in Bloomington Normal, moms, that say that their kid who is their daughter specifically, who's been as girly as you can be all the way through their life up until high school, and now they're saying, or eighth grade, seventh grade, they're starting to say, I think I'm trans. I think I might be. And it's like, that doesn't make sense. I'm sorry. That's not how mental illness works. Red flags should be going up. We should be going, wait a minute, no. But millennials have this thing where they like to affirm. Okay, maybe let's see this through. Whatever happened to traditional parenting? It's like, no, sorry. I have a girlfriend. I'm going to say one more thing here. I have a girl girlfriend beautiful right? right and she's very feminine yeah when she was growing up she looked more like a boy than i did yeah. she said she wanted to be a boy right 
And then you, if you, if her parents were millennials, they would have they taken her down that you, path, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But I'm so but glad they didn't. But what she really didn't. meant, she wants to go out and get rough and tumble and dirty and play in the trees and right. do and, things that boys do. And boys wear boy shorts. Exactly. And uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but that what didn't mean that she was thing. a boy, right? But right. you're right. The parent has a very, very crucial role to play here, like we do with everything. And they're splitting up more than ever. With yeah, well, again, <laughs> that's another. That's a whole other factor and a whole other study and a whole other show. Parenting is, and the, and the breakdown of the American family in this culture is also epidemic. And again, that's another variable. If I'm going to do this big science experiment on why people are the way they are sexually, parenting and family has to be at least a part of that. Right. Yeah. And then media, the, the onset of, you know, I can, on my phone, I can see any sex act in the world I want to. I can access it. Doesn't matter. I can find it. It's on the internet. By 11 and years old, chances are, right? By 11 are, years right? old, you're smarter than your parents are electronically and technically anyhow. So, yeah, it's it's a, it's a scary world, man. And it's incredibly difficult for parents, especially as they get older, to navigate it because their, their six-year-old kid might know tech better than right. they do. Right, Yeah. yeah. Man, what do you do? What do you do? Hey, I got you on the show. I, what do you I think we should do? I keep preaching Jesus, man. That's, the only, that's all I got, Paul. All I got is that Jesus can change people, save people, love people, move people in the right direction. And ultimately, that's the only thing I know in this world that's going to be here. The government's not going to be here. The United States of America, and this is not very popular, especially the day after Memorial Day, but the reality is we are already on the edge of the longest lasting empire, if you want to call us that. I know we're a democracy, but the odds are if the world lasts another thousand years, the United States of America is going to be some other iteration of what we are now. The Roman Empire didn't last. The Chinese dynasties didn't last, right? So everything's going to pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus says, but my word will never pass away. So the only stability I can find for my life is Jesus. And if you're going to ask me, and I'm going to preach and teach it, I'm going to say, you better figure out where Jesus is in your world. That's going to be your foundation. That's going to that's going to give you the best chance at a fulfilled and joy-filled life. So... I've got a lot of work to do, is what I'm saying as a pastor. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, You know, I'm asking you big questions. I'm coming to you for some guidance, you know, on behalf of myself and on behalf of everyone who's going to watch and listen to this. Yep. You are in a very important leading role at Eastview Christian Church. It's mm-hmm. a big deal. You mm-hmm. have thousands of people. The congregation is composed of thousands of people. Mm-hmm. They turn to you for guidance. They ask you for prayers. You're important to them and to many, many people. How do you keep from, for lack of a better term, kind of getting drunk on something Mm. like power? Because as I said, like it or not, it's a powerful position. There's inevitably going to be a temptation to see what you can do with that, I imagine. How do you keep that in check? Well, again, you're right. Anybody who has any power, and I I would take it all the way down to, you know, teachers, coaches, pastors of any church size. Obviously, I'm in a big church and you're not you're not ignorant of some of the headlines of some of the mega church pastors that have taken some major tumbles here, right? right. At least recently and come on the Catholic Church too. Absolutely, <laughs> right. Absolutely. So right. so power is intoxicating and it does a, it, you know, it can become abusive if you lean into that. So I tell people all the time, there's there's two things. As, as the pastor of Eastview Christian Church, I get headlines, I get noticed, right? 
I can either believe those headlines and pour gas on that fire, or I can just douse it with some some water and go, yes, listen, I know that's who you think I am. I tell people at ESP all the time, I'm like, you literally see me at prob- probably my most holy 35 minutes of the week. <laughs> the rest of the week, I'm a dad like you. I'm a husband like you. I'm a grandpa like you. I hit my... Uh, you know, thumb with a hammer like you. I get frustrated like you. People tick me off like you. I'm I'm trying to live a sincere life. It's just that I'm not the super religious, you know, God that you think I am. The other thing is, I think having somebody who can walk alongside you. And I've been married for 37 years. I've never done ministry without being married. And my favorite thing, I somebody asked me several years ago about the value of Sarah, my wife, and I said um, she is my biggest fan, and she's not impressed. So those two things go together. My wife keeps me grounded. She travels with me everywhere. I don't go anywhere without her. She handles our finances. You just have to release some stuff that would be temptations to 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 use your power against other people and put yourself in. You have to be be accountable to people and prayerfully, man. You know, prayerfully, because again, when somebody powerful slips up, screws up, makes a mess of things. I don't look at that and go, ah, he's a jerk. I'm not a jerk. I always look at that and go, oh, he's human. And if I'm not careful, that could be me. Mm-hmm. So I take that stuff very seriously. And you you bring up a good point. It is There is a lot of influence that I have. And prayerfully, I just keep walking with God and and keep people around me who you know are convinced that I'm not all that. So, yeah. What do you think of, and I'm putting you in a weird position here, but folks like Joel Olstein, yeah. who owned Ferraris yeah. and yeah. luxury sports cars uh, and televise their their sermons and mm-hmm. get people really wild, riled up and the prosperity yeah. gospel, et cetera. What do you think of people like that and what he's doing? Yeah, I think, again, it, it, in and of itself, it is not wrong to have a Ferrari per se, right? Unless you're really given to following God and his care for the people who are poor and impoverished, there's a level, right? What's the right level? How much should your car cost as a Christian? 20000 30000 40000 100000 And based on your level of income and you, where you live, that, those could be different answers. But what I do know is that we're not here to accumulate a bunch of wealth and goods. And we certainly, and again, I have no... I'm not, I don't hate Joel Osteen. I just think the gospel that he's preaching, which says, Paul, if you give a bunch of money to God, he's going to bless you with more more goods and more, you know, you see that dichotomy. It's like, give me your money in the name of God, and God will give you cars and planes and houses, and he's going to bless you today. Oh, does he say give but, me in like his church? Well, I mean, that that's where offerings are going to go. Eventually, not all of it goes to him. By the way, that church has, uh, you know, one of the greatest outreaches towards homeless and poor people that there is in the Houston area. So again, this is the part of the church where people, it's hard for people to go, yeah, they sometimes really screw things up. And I don't, I think his theology, just scripturally, um, scriptural integrity, the way he's teaching it is not good theology, generally speaking. But still in that imperfection, the church does some really good things in the name, name of Jesus. But ultimately, you have to get outside of your rich world to go see the whole world and try to your 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 theology has to work in Haiti and it has to work in Kenya and it has to work in India. I've been in all those places, Mexico City. And it, you can't you can't preach in Haiti and go, "Hey, if you just trust God more, he's going to bless you. He's going to give you riches. He's going to give you a house." No. 
Some of the most joyful people I've ever met in the world are singing in church on Sunday in Haiti, and they have nothing, literally nothing. And I go, I'd rather be them than a rich dude with a mansion and a bunch of Ferraris. <laughs> and I think God, that God understands that. There's more joy in that than all the stuff the world can offer. So, yeah, I, I, I hate that health and wealth gospel because Christians get sick and Christians are poor. Mike, I, I really appreciate your time today. We're not Thanks, quite man. done yet, okay. though. All right. I want to ask you a couple more questions. You're not, you're not allowing me off the hot seat yet. All right. Right, right, right. Roughly speaking, what do you want to do with your career and your life? Oh, that's great, man. Thank you for asking that. Well, here's the deal. I, I think I alluded to this a little bit earlier. I have, um, when I was six years old, my dad was preaching and I was bored. My mom was feeding me raisins, trying to keep me quiet in a church service. As back in the day, we didn't do children's church. We didn't do, the whole family went through the whole thing. But I remember, I just felt like God was saying, hey, um, if you'll do this, this is what I've called you to do. And I, I prayed a prayer as a six-year-old, God, I'll preach. That's what I want to do the rest of my life. So that's what I know I'm going to do the rest of my life. I'm going to preach. I think that I've got some good years still left at Eastview. And um, and then I'm going to uh, probably leave Eastview because I think it's a that kind of leadership and that level of leadership is really for somebody who's younger and energetic and, and it's always a good to pass the baton to some other leader. And then I'm going to go find a church that's maybe smaller. Maybe I'm a Midwest guy, so I'll probably stay around. I'll probably find a church somewhere in Indianapolis and just go preach, see what happens, you know. And so um, – my calling is not dependent on the size of the church or the location. It's just that God and I kind of have this thing, I'm going to preach. That's what I'm going to do. My prayer is the last Sunday I'm alive, I've preached a sermon. So hmm. if he gives me health and strength, that's what I'll do. Yeah. Do you just trying to do God's will, lead people to heaven, teach people the gospel, and that's it. Live a sincerely, good life? sincerely, I really just want people to have what I have. I'm not perfect. I screw up. I've screwed up. I've sinned. Um, but I truly, truly believe, as they say on the street, I smoke what I'm selling. Right? Mm. I believe, I believe in Jesus and I believe that he's the savior of the world. And I believe he can make your life exactly what it needs to be. And I'm going to preach that until I can't talk anymore. I am a practicing Catholic. Yeah. You're a Protestant. Uh -huh. Do you think that if I died right now as a practicing Catholic, that I could still make it to heaven? Or would it be a good idea for me to immediately start attending your church? <laughs> well, just because we'd love to have you. Just come on over there. I know you got some relatives over there, so uh, we'd love to have you. But the bottom line is, here, the Bible says that we are it's, the, it's our faith in Jesus Christ that's going to save us. It's by faith you have been saved, grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. So whether it's Protestant church or Catholic church, all the good works you do, all the good stuff you say, that's not what's going to save you. What's going to save you is your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's it. So I have tons of Catholic friends who love Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And uh, while I may not agree with all the practices and modes and different teachings, um, we can agree on the thing that's most important, that's Jesus. So if you are a follower of Jesus, your faith is in Him and Him alone. I'd say uh, just live your life. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of churches that teach stuff that I wouldn't exactly, again, you know, forms of communion, forms of baptism, those kind of methods um, that I wouldn't arm wrestle people over. It's about Jesus. We're all going to get there because we know him. That's it.
So you think the Catholics can still get Absolutely. to heaven? Absolutely. I, I hope they do. I mean, that's uh, there's going to be a lot of billions of people in the world that aren't, <laughs> aren't there if, that, if it doesn't happen. And again, it comes down to, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And do you follow him? That's it. Right on. Yeah. Well, good answer. That's a nice note to Thanks, end brother. on. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Mike Baker. Hey. God bless you, man. Thanks for having me here, and uh, we'll uh, we'll try to turn some people on to the Paul Garcia Show. I appreciate your time. Give this video a like and a share, and God bless, and have a great week.